Hey guys, welcome to my podcast. I pray you are empowered to walk in the fullness of your God design. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And remember, enforcing purpose, it starts with you. So I want to talk to you today about how your system plus your experiences equal your reality. So if you want to write that down, I want you to say your system plus your experiences equal your reality. Now I teach this fully, this whole concept is taught in my book, Enforcing You, which is how do, how do I activate my identity in Christ? I know I have an identity in Christ. I can tell you what it's supposed to look like, but then I have this reality that I'm stuck in, in my, in my life, in, the, in my patterns and in my behaviors. So your system is what you are brought up in. It, it's your education, it's your home life, it's your religion, it's your culture, um, it's our government. That's our system, right? So we all have these building blocks in our life of our system, plus we have our experiences. So your experiences, of course, are I was you know, bullied in sixth grade, or I had a hard breakup when I was 17, or I, I got d- divorced when I was 25. So your system plus your experience is what creates your current paradigm or the reality in which you walk in. Now, I'm just giving you that as a brief uh, nugget to kind of set you up for today's message so we can have an understanding that often the reality that we're walking in is actually a lie. So I think a lot of times what happens is is we allow our reality to define our truth, whereas our reality can actually be a lie. Now think with me for a moment. If you have your Bible, you can go to John chapter 8, or I can just read it to you. That's fine as well. But in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36, it says this. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, and you, you are my disciples indeed, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, I love this passage because that idea of being made free is a causation. It's the idea of there's an automatic causing that will happen in your life that if you come to know my truth, if you come to know me and you come to know my truth, then there's a causation of freedom that will happen in your life. Now, I think a lot of us would say in here, we know truth, yet we don't have the causation of the fullness of freedom in our lives. So somewhere something's missing. So it's possible, it's possible that the truth we think we know is not really the truth. I'm going to say that again. It's possible that the reality that we have defined as truth is not really truth. Because if it was truth, there would be a causation of freedom in our life. That's what the scripture, I'm not making stuff up to you. I'm just telling you what the scripture says. And then you shall know the truth and the truth shall cause you to be free. They answered him, now listen to this. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. Yes, please laugh again, because that's quite comical. But as believers, a lot of us live our lives like that. Well, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I don't need to go to a soul tie. I don't have any soul ties. Oh, I went through, you know, I went through divorce counseling. I went through grief counseling. I don't have any soul ties. Go on and they say, we are Abraham's descendants and we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? In other words, they're saying we're already free because we're Abraham's descendants. Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. 
Now, I love this passage because it sounds ridiculous. I love that you laughed. Here we're talking to a, a nation of people who lived, if we, know, if we understand the Old Testament and the history of the nation, they lived their entire history in bondage. Assyrian bondage, Babylonian bondage. When he's speaking, they're currently under Romanian captivity. Yet they are saying, when have we ever been in bondage? Oh, who, me? I'm a believer. I was saved when I was 18. I've gone through every healing and deliverance and counseling there is. I'm not, I'm not in bondage. So my question for you today is, if you were living a lie, would you want to know? I often tell people, we don't know what we don't know. But if you could know what you don't know, would you want to know? Because a lot of the people who didn't show up today, those, their answer is no. We don't want to know. I don't want to know if I have a soul tie. Because that might be hard, and it might be painful, and it might require a lot of courage for me to actually face that thing. I mean, I almost called you pastor. Um, Brian, Brian, he's like, don't call me pastor. Brian said it earlier. Sometimes we have something that flashes before us, and we're like, oh, that hurts. I don't know if anybody in here is... Uh, has an understanding of the Enneagram. I'm, I'm an Enneagram 7, and the core fear of an Enneagram 7 is emotional pain. And, and I catch myself trying to divert. Uh, he's probably caught me sometimes when he talks about something. I'll start laughing or cracking a joke. I try and make it a little lighthearted, and that's me trying to avoid the emotional pain of something that is going to require a lot of courage to actually take, take care of. So the question again is, if you were living a lie, would you want to know? Answering this question is the very first step to opening your eyes to seeing what you've been blind to. Um, the enemy is the master at keeping us blind, but he doesn't want you to know you're blind. If you remember in John chapter 9, when the blind man was, made, he, was healed, remember the Pharisees came and said, you know, who healed this man? He goes to the, they go to the parents, they're like, we don't know. Go to him, all, all we know. And he keeps saying, I, I don't know, all I know is I once was blind, but now I see. But one of the fascinating parts of this passage is then Jesus goes to the Pharisees and he says, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. In some versions it says, because you claim you can see, you shall remain blind. Because you claim you can see, you shall remain blind. So I just declare in this room that we don't declare that we see it all. We just release, Father, the veil, the things that would keep us from seeing the fullness of what you see. God, we give you permission to remove those blinders from our eyes. We declare, God, that we have an understanding that there are things we do not know. That there are spaces and places we have not tapped into. And today we declare the courage of the kingdom coming upon us that we are willing to step into that space that you open, that you even peer us into, Lord. And I just speak that over the room in Jesus' name. So this word blind here actually denotes the idea of being mentally blind, unable to see in the mind, which is very interesting because he's just healed a man who's physically blind, has opened his eyes, but then he has this conversation with the Pharisees about this mental blindness, this block that they're unable to embrace, this concept that they're unable to become aware of because they're mentally blind. It, it denotes the idea of having a lack of understanding. We would say it's the lack of self-awareness. 
the inability to be self-aware enough. Now, I'm a like, like Brian, I'm also a business coach, and we talk a lot in the business world about how the number one predictor of overall success within a business is the presence of self-awareness among the employees. Okay, so which is a great open door for salvation, by the way. Um, and so when we're talking about self-awareness and the importance of self-awareness, that means I have to be willing to say, I don't want to be mentally blind to spaces and places in my life that have been untapped. I want to give the Holy Spirit full permissions to search me, to seek me, to see if there be any offensive way in me. Come on, can we just admit some of us have some offensive way? So, and when I say offensive, I don't mean like uh, I'm offending you. I mean I'm offending the fullness of the design of Christ in me. There's a design that God put in me to walk in the fullness of who I could be, who I should be. You're going to hear me say that all day long. Who I could be, who I should be. And when I'm coming up short of the glory of the Lord... I'm offending the design of Christ. I'm offending the design of Christ. So my point here is too often we think our lives, we're thinking, we think we're living in the truth when actually we could be living a lie. We could be living a lie. And you could be living a lie in some spaces and living in the fullness of truth in other spaces, right? So again, we're going to go back to this, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall cause you. That idea to know, to know the truth means to come to know by experience and for it to become your reality. So we're talking about, again, my book, Enforcing You, is the whole idea of turning ideas, concepts, understandings into reality in our life. Because if we're honest, a lot of us live our, we can quote the scripture, we know we should be anxious for nothing and everything in prayer and supplication. And with thanksgiving of a heart, we should pr present our, our, our requests before the Lord and the peace of God will transcend or understand, right? We know it. We can quote it. Probably half of you are in your like, she's quoting Philippians 4, 6 through 8, right? But how many of us can say we actually live that out? We have no anxieties in our life. And the peace of God transcends our understanding of every situation in our life. Whether it's my child has cancer, my husband's having an affair, my kiddo's on drugs, I have no money for my next bill. See, there's, sometimes there's this big gap between the knowledge that we have as believers, sometimes arrogantly, can I just say that? Sometimes super, this is where we get really like, we get kind of a little snotty in the scriptures. <laughs> But so we get arrogant, we get big-headed, and it keeps us from receiving truth. Because we tell the Holy Spirit, yeah, I already know that one. You know, you're, laying, you're in your quiet time, and the Lord keeps bringing up, and you're like, yeah, I already know that, so I can quote it to you. And the Lord's like, well, I'm so glad you could quote that to me. That's lovely, sweetheart. You're so sweet, right? But it's different than having knowledge, to come to know, and you shall know the truth. If you read that in the Greek, it, I, it's, it denotes the idea of you've experienced it and it's become your reality. And that's what we want for you today, is we want you to have more than just a knowledge that you could be set free. We want you to have more of just a knowledge of what truth says. We want you to know that the Holy Spirit is here for you, not just for the people around you. And be willing for the, to take that personally. So today I want to talk to you about how, I'm actually just not getting to the message today. Um, 
So I, I love this pat, this verse in, in 1 John 3, 8. It says this, For this purpose the Son of Man was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. I'm going to say that again. It is for this purpose that the Son of Man was manifested, that he might utterly destroy the works of the devil. I'm going to say it one more time because everybody's like kind of still letting it process. What is the purpose in which the Son of Man, which Jesus, was manifested here on the earth? So that he might utterly destroy, destroy, shatter, obliterate the works of the devil. Meaning there's no work of the enemy in my life. I can't say that's my reality. Just being honest with you. Because the first step to being set free is honesty. I can't say that's the, always the reality in my life. I have that knowledge, but I cannot say that's always my reality. So there are likely some spaces, some places in your life that the enemy still needs some things to be destroyed, or that the, the Lord still has some things to destroy in your life. Some places and spaces. So we want you to know that God has done the work for you on the cross. You mentioned that earlier. It's already been done on the cross. So today is not about a work. It's about a partnership. It's about partnering with the Holy Spirit and allowing him to have his way. But the work has already been done. Why? Because the Bible says it is for this purpose that the Son of Man was manifested to utterly destroy the works of the devil. So the work of the enemy, some of us should be getting vexed right now. Some of us should be going, wait a minute, why am I, hold up, why am I still experiencing stress, anxiety, fear, worry, pride, greed, gluttony, garbage, go on and on and on. Why am I still, why am I still experiencing lust? Why am I still experiencing, why am I, if, if the devil, if the devil was utterly destroyed through the manifestation of Jesus Christ here on the earth, then I'm telling you, we need to start getting angry and irritated and vexed at the enemy and his ways in our lives. So you get to decide today how you will walk out of here. Will you walk out of here freer than when you came in? I, I, I've already decided. I'm going to walk out of this room freer than when I came in. Just because I am a part of the teaching does not make me above the needing of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. So I have already predetermined, come on, it's like the woman with the issue of blood. She predetermined the encounter she would have with Christ. She said, I already know that if I reach out and I touch the edge of his cloak, I will be healed. I think she was healed in the moment she made that, that mental decision, but that's just my own theological <laughs> observation. So I want us to go to 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 18 through 19. Again, I'm going to read it to you, so you don't have to flip around in your Bible. But this is the story of Elisha, the prophet, when he is having his dealings with King Joash on Elisha's deathbed. And he says to the king, then he said to him, take the arrows. And so he, meaning the king, took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three, three times and he stopped. And the man of God was angry with him. And he said, you should have struck five or six times. When you would have, then you would have struck Syria till you would have destroyed it. But now you will only strike him three times. So there's a couple of things that we're going to learn from this passage. But first, because I'm a very demonstrative person, because my degree is actually in early childhood education. So I'm used <laughs> to teaching three and four-year-olds. I want you to get a visual of the prophet placing an arrow, which is a representation of the word of God, 
it, placing an arrow, giving the king the strategies of how to overtake. Right before this is when he, he tells him to shoot the arrow out the window, and he says to shoot it at the heart of Aphek, which was the bullseye. Aphek was the capital of Syria, so it was the bullseye. It was the devil's eye, okay? So he puts his hand on him, and he trains him how to shoot the word of God, how to aim the word of God to hit the bullseye and win. Then he places an arrow in his hand and says, okay, now you do it. Let's see how well you learn. I want you to strike the ground. And so I don't know if this is how it happened. I just kind of picture the Josh being like, Ugh! Ugh! <laughs> and he hits the ground three times, which kind of reminds me of how we start out when we're trying to stop smoking, when we're trying to start working out where we're trying to stop cussing, when we're trying to start extending forget, whatever it is, when we're trying to start pursuing freedom, we kind of shoot out of the gates and we're like, yes, I got this. And we strike the ground, but we lack the perseverance to continue until it's completely destroyed. It is for this purpose that the Son of Man was manifested to utterly destroy, obliterate the works of the devil in your life. And so this story is directly connected to that truth and saying these three things, and I'm going to go back and, and we're going to talk in detail in these three things. One, you have the authority to destroy not just the work of the enemy, but the debris of the enemy. Okay, and I'm going to go back to that. But that's one. You have the authority to destroy. Just if you want to write that down, just write, I have the authority. Devil, you suck. You can add that if you want. That's my own ad lib. Two, we're going to go back again to this, is your faith will determine the freedom you receive. Your faith will determine the freedom you receive. And three, we learn from this that it is possible to manage the devil and never destroy him in your life. It's possible to manage the, come on, how many of you have ever been to an anger management class? I know churches that teach anger management classes. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are we teaching people how to manage the devil in our lives? Okay, so let's go back to point one. Point one is this. You have the authority to destroy the work and the debris of the enemy in your life. So what this means is you don't have to have any evidence of your past. You also do not have to have any effect of your past. Now today we're going to be talking a lot about not just relationships. Relationships, when we say relationships, we're not just talking about with people. We're talking about relationship with ideas, ideals concepts, dreams. So we're not just talking about soul ties that we build with actual people. We are in relationship with our own mind, with our own thinking, with our own belief. We're in relationship with our education. I'm in relationship with my money. Come on. We have to be in relationship with these things. And so sometimes we have poor situations, difficult situations from our past whether it's in my relationship with some of us, come on, file bankruptcy 20 years ago, and you still live under the effect of that bankruptcy. And this passage is saying, not only do I have the authority to utterly destroy the work of the devil, but the debris of the devil has to go as well, meaning there can be no effect. Now, this, is, this was my revelation yesterday. In Mark chapter 16, 18, it says, they will, these, this is the evidence that they are my believers. This is that whole passage that says, uh, when he's talking about the Great Commission, he says, go out into the world, and this will be the evidence 
that signs will accompany them. You know, the passage that nobody teaches in a lot of the churches. Um, and so it says this, they will take up serpents, they will drink anything deadly, but they will not be poisoned by it. Come on, let's think about an axe where Paul gets bit by the serpent. And, and the, the islanders, islanders are like freaking out, right? Because he's bit by a deadly serpent and he shakes that thing off and there's no effect of any poison in his life, which ultimately was, was the testimony of Christ in his life. Come on, some of us have been bit by things and the bite has been shaken off, but you're suffering the poison of the bite. And people around you are saying, why should I come into the kingdom when you're still poisoned or living in toxicity of your past when that bite isn't even still upon you? So this passage is telling us that you have the authority, I have the authority, Brian has the authority to not just utterly destroy the work of the devil, but the debris of the devil. Okay? So I want you guys to just say this. Devil, you have no effect in my life. Okay, so all the poison of your relationships, the things of your past, you get to be set free from. You need to be purified that the toxicity of the things of your past can have no effect on you. Okay? The opposite is the mindset of victimization. Now, we see this a lot in my line of work, right? Because we deal with people in poverty, and they have all kinds of reasons why they're still broken. And if we're honest, we're not much different than them. Now, I do want to be sensitive and say there are things in our past that can explain why we struggle with things in our today. But the difference is an explanation versus an excuse. Okay? So a lot of us continue to excuse our brokenness because of our past. And I do not want to invalidate that probably every single person in this room has some sort of trauma in their past. But if we are going to continue to allow that to be our excuse for moving forward, then you might as well just get on up and excuse yourself from this room today. Because at some point, we need to recognize that that is a victim mentality, and I'm tired of being subject to the things in my past. Because God says, it is for this purpose that the Son of Man was utterly, was manifested, was to utterly destroy the works of the devil. Therefore, all the things of my past past do not have to have any say in my life and my today. Not at all. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, therefore, therefore, from now on, everybody say from now on, I regard myself no longer according to the flesh. So a lot of us have had poison in our lives, in our soul, and in our flesh, and we regard ourselves according to our flesh and our soul. And we excuse it. Come on. You understand we live in a culture that will actually pay you to stay in your brokenness. Oh, baby, I see you're too broken. Yeah, you are disabled. We'll pay you to stay disabled. I'm just saying it like it is. We'll pay you to stay in poverty. We live in a culture that confirms your brokenness. And I would like to propose that we are filled with a culture that has a church that thrives on your brokenness as well. But if I'm reading the scriptures, it says it is for this purpose that the Son of Man was manifested to utterly destroy the works of poverty, disability, brokenness, 
toxicity, poison. Come on, we could go on and on and on. That's what the truth says to me. I'm not making up stuff to say to you guys. I'm just reading you the scriptures. Therefore, from now on, I will not regard myself according to the flesh. Yesterday I was angry, but today I'm set free. Yesterday I was depressed, but today I'm set free. Yesterday I had panic anxiety attacks, but today I walk in freedom. Come on. Because I don't regard myself according to who I was. Liz can probably tell you how many times I say, well, I don't have to respond the way I did because I'm not who I was. Praise God, I don't have to respond the way I did yesterday because I'm not who I was yesterday. You want to know why? Because I'm on the increase. The Bible says that I'm being transformed into the likeness of Christ from glory into glory, which means today when I woke up, I was more like Jesus than I was yesterday when I woke up. Tomorrow when I wake up, I'm going to be more like Jesus than I was today because there's a natural increase going on in my life. Just like a tree grows from season to season, so also the glory, the character of God. Come on, you guys got to get my book this fall. The character of God is automatically on the increase in my life. I think sometimes we work harder to squelch the glory and the character of God in our life. We're working really hard. The devil has exhausted us trying to hold back the goodness of God in our life. If we would just allow ourselves to be yoked, the yoke of the Lord is what? Easy and his burden is light. That word easy in the Greek denotes the idea of it's fitting and it's beneficial to who you are. It doesn't mean it's easy. See, the world tells us easy is easy. Easy is just getting a paycheck from the government every month. But it's not fitting to who we are. If you read it in its original, denote, uh, original text, it's the idea of being fitting to who we are and benefiting who you are in Christ. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, you are of God, little children, you have overcome them, because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. So here's the good news. The Bible also says that yesterday's rubble becomes today's building blocks. I love that you talked about this. This I have three minutes. Yesterday's rubble becomes today's building blocks. Write down Isaiah 58, 12. I'm not going to preach it to you. Look it up. Write down 1 Kings 18, chapter 30. I'm not going to preach it to you. Look it up. But what I want you to know is the Bible says this over and over and over in Scripture. Everything the enemy uses for evil, God uses for good. Why? Because all things work together for good. Write down Romans 8.28. I know you know it. You all said you know it. So don't not look it up because you know it. Yeah. <laughs> Can you read the other two yes, sir. Isaiah 58.12. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. You will rebuild the foundations from our past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything. You can restore old ruins. You can rebuild. You can renovate. And you can make a, a community livable again out of yesterday's rubble. Yes. Come on. I, I'm, I'm just reading scripture to you. <laughs> That's exactly what you said. I was like, ah, it is the word. And Elijah, what does he do when he says to the prophets of Baal? He says, you build your altar. I'll build my altar. But where does he get his altar from? Anybody know? He finds the 12 stones that are laying, laid in ruin. The 12, the 12 stones that were for the 12 tribes, it says he goes and he gets the 12 stones and he rebuilds them to build the altar. He took yesterday's rubble, and that's what the fire fell on. Whew, I got spirit on that. He took yesterday's rubble, and that's what the fire fell on. See, but the enemy will tell you that your past is just your past, and your rubble will keep you from going where God wants to take you. But God says that your past is being transformed into your future being transformed into your future. All right, two was our faith will determine our freedom we receive. It's not just what you believe, but how you respond to what you believe. Come on, a lot of us believe a lot of really good things, but we don't live in response to what we believe. If I believe 
I'm going to use an interesting example. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, yeah, yeah, okay. So if I believe that God says, okay, if I believe that God says I can be healed, and I'm a man with a shriveled hand, and He says, "Stretch out your hand." Now, now I have now I have a a, a conundrum. If I, if I'm the man with the shriveled hand, what do I say to him? Most of us would be like, "I can't," right? I can't. I haven't been able to stretch out my hand. If I'm the man who's laid on a mat for 38 years, and God says, "Take up your mat and walk," come on, that mat has been His story. He doesn't have an identity outside of that mat. His mommy and his daddy confirmed that mat for him. His imprint is on that mat. Right? I preached a message a couple a couple weeks ago. It was a really difficult uh, crowd because uh, it wasn't spirit-filled. And so I was like, like super desperate. So I'm like laying on the floor demonstrating like Jesus didn't coddle the man. He didn't spoon the man. He didn't, you know, he didn't lay with the man on his mat because we love to lay with people in their pit, right? But he's, so I'm like trying to get these, I'm like trying to get these people to understand like this is a big deal that he goes to this man who's always laid on his mat to so take up your mat and walk. And have you guys seen uh, the, well, what's the, the series that's out? The Chosen. Uh, this I would never say this. I am saying it publicly because it's all being recorded. But, you know, he kind of goes like this. And, and then he gets up and he walks. I don't think that's how it happened. I think actually his healing came back after he got up and walked. Because when we mix the word with our faith, that's when it equals our promise. So you get a word. I think about Hannah and uh, the priest said, go home. And, and God has heard your prayer. And he will, he will fulfill your request. And then she went home and she knew her husband. Well, she had to add the wor- to a work, literally, to the word to equal her promise. If she had never actually gone home, her countenance was lifted up. She responded, knew her husband, and she became pregnant. With the man who was blind, he spits in his eyes and he says, now go wash in the pool of Siloam. I'm the blind man. You know what I'm going to say? Dude, I can't see. I don't know where I'm going. Bro, I can't see a thing. You talk about a walk of faith. A walk of in the dark, the ten lepers, he says, go and present yourself to the temple. And the temple is healed. If they get to the temple and they're not healed yet, guess what's due them? They're going to get stoned to death. They couldn't just walk through the city as lepers. I can't imagine these ten lepers with every step going, are you healed yet? No, no, no. How about you? you? Should we take another step? Okay, let's take one more step. But every step was a walk of faith. But it wasn't until they walked the step of faith. You understand that the Bible says that signs follow those who operate in faith. And a lot of us are waiting for a sign to operate on faith. That's not faith. I mean, let's call it what it is. And God does that in his grace and his mercy, but it's not what it is. So your faith will determine the freedom you receive. And three, I mentioned this earlier, that the devil can be managed instead of destroyed in your life. So uh, we can learn how to live on our mat. I, I told this story a while back about my daughter who tore her ACL when she was in high school. And, uh, you know, when I didn't know this, but when you tear an ACL, it, like, hurts initially. And then it doesn't really hurt anymore, but you just have limited mobility, limited cap- capacity. Well, she had a scholarship to go play volleyball uh, in college. And so they were like, you know, look, here's a deal. She can live with a torn ACL for the rest of her life. It's not a big deal. Um, but she would be limited in what she could do. So, of course, as parents, we were like, no, she's got the scholarship. We want her to be able to play volleyball. She loves it. So we went through the surgery. And so the surgeon explained to her and said, look, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to repair your ACL, and in a moment it's going to be repaired. But when you come out, you're going to experience more pain than when you went in. 
And you could do nothing with that knee and you would have a repaired ACL, but if you want to get the fullest capacity out of that knee, you're going to have to go to physical therapy. You're going to have to subject yourself to some exercising of that knee. Or you could live your life with limited mobility in that knee. And I would like to propose to you as believers, we're living our life with limited mobility because we're not willing to exercise the works of God in our life. And so we've learned how to manage. I can live with a torn ACL. I can manage that pain. I can manage the pain in my, I can manage the pain in my heart. You know what? That's kind of a trigger for me, so I just don't go in those areas in space. I've learned how to manage it by not going there. And I'm not saying that there's not wisdom in sometimes avoiding spaces and places while you're in the healing. But if I assume that I'm never going to be strong enough to sit next to somebody having a drink, all I've learned is how to manage my addiction. Because it's for this purpose that the Son of Man was manifested to utterly destroy the works of the devil. And a lot of us have done really well at managing our depression, managing our anxiety, managing our panic. I've just learned, I'm a counselor, you guys are counselors, I, I am the first one. When you're in the thick of it, I'm like, well, let's practice some breathing techniques. Let's practice becoming aware of your left big toe and wiggling your left big toe when you're in a moment, becoming self-aware. There is a time and a place in that. But I want to move beyond that. You want to move beyond that. I want to come to a place where you never have to exercise those ever because the work of depression and anxiety has been utterly destroyed in your life. Yes. That's what we want. So today, God wants to utterly destroy any works of any soul ties in your life. And you have to be willing to recognize, oh, I've been managing some things in my soul. And today, God wants me, he's given me the courage to be free enough, to be bold enough, to be strong enough, to look at that thing and say, I'm tired of managing it. I don't want to just strike, slap the devil around in my life. Come on, we talk about striking three times. It's like he's like, just kind of slapping depression around. He's like, boink, here I am again. Boink, here I am again. Boink, here I am again. It's like those whatever punching bags that just keep coming back at, at you. And every single one of you in this room, I can tell by the Holy Spirit, every single one of you knows an it. Has a thing right now that you're like, dang, that's my thing. I've been just punching in the face. And, it every, and I, sometimes it's gone for a year. Sometimes it's gone for a month. But by golly, that things keep popping right back up. And today we want you to be set free from that. Amen. Today we want you to be set free from that. If you would close your eyes for me for a moment. <clears throat> And I want you to just forget about anybody being in the room except for you. And I want you to just allow my voice to be like the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to think about all the different places in the Scripture where Jesus shows up and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Come on, that's a bold question. What do you want me to do for you? And today, right now in this moment, I want you to have the courage to answer big and courageously. And that it, that thing, I want you to be courageous enough and have faith enough. Because remember, this is where your faith is going to predetermine the freedom. I want you to have the faith, this thing right here, God, I don't want to walk out with this. This thing right here, God, that's what I want from you. And I want to remind you that in the scriptures where he says, what is it you want me to do for you? Typically, he did more than they asked. Because he's a God who's abundant. So that means overflow. So I want you to expect, yes, you are worthy of this one thing, being healed and being removed. 
But I want you to expect that the character of God would say, you're not going to just get that, you're going to get more. If you would just take a moment and jot down the thing. If you put it in writing, then you can't unwrite it. <laughs> and it lets the devil know you're serious and that you're throwing this out for him to deal with, for God to deal with. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to click subscribe so you can catch each episode every month. I want you to walk in your fullness. For more information about other services and resources, head to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com. You can also find me on YouTube by searching Lisa Schwartz LLC. I look forward to connecting with you. Remember, enforcing purpose, it starts with you.